December 12th, Saturday. Whew! I got 26 stories to talk about today with the three newspapers. Wall Street Journal kicked ass today, as their Saturday-Sunday edition always does. They have one edition for the weekend. It's so worth checking out. Story number one is an obituary of Neil Krieger, 78. He's a neuroscientist. He was interested in bioluminescence and how bioluminescent creatures on the beach worked. That sounds pretty cool. These are sea creatures and plankton that light up at night. So you can see, uh, you know, when you're looking at the ocean at, at night, you see them all like a neon blue glowing. That's cool. Neil was a family man. His son said that when he was young, that every Saturday morning he'd come downstairs and he would sit on his dad's lap and his dad would tell him a story. He founded a consulting firm called West Rock Associates that helped tech startups and universities get government grants. Smart guy. Story number two. This day in history, December 12th, they released The Godfather 2, 1974. In New York. And although I, I much prefer the first Godfather over the second, the first one was so damn good. I mean, it was just, you totally felt immersed in that culture in that time. Kind of like Goodfellas. Just movies that just completely bring you away from where you are. I love that. Story number three is an obituary of a 96-year-old woman named Stella H. Sullivan, who uh, was devoted to her family. And I just got a kick out of her last one of her uh, quotes that she said, she did die from complications from COVID. And that was an illness that she referred to as, quote, that dirty bird virus. (laughs) Poor lady. But I love that quote. Story number four is a sweet story of a guy who he loved his son, and he ended up... um, dying of esophageal cancer in 2015, the father. But he ended up giving an envelope to his wife to give to his son when he was of age, when he turned 21. And it was a $10 bill that he gave to him to buy his first legal beer. And I love that story. And the kid ended up uh, using it, of course. Oddly enough, he got the beer at breakfast time. (laughs) But, you know, it was on Twitter, and then that became viral, and then Budweiser got involved and gave him, you know, cases of Bud Light and, and all that. And they donated a lot of money to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Story number five is about Jane, Joan Baez, who has taken up oil painting, or water painting, and she had a whole show. She started this in 2017. She had her first painting show. And it was titled Mischief Makers. And her mischief makers were people that were making positive change in the world through nonviolent means. So the first one that she selected was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. She also did a portrait of Kamala Harris with the words badass on it. Story number six. The Massachusetts Conference for Women recently happened, and usually it's an in-person event, of course, but now it's all virtual. And some of the key speakers were Alicia Keys, Mel Robbins, who's really freaking smart. 
when I hear her talk, she's an outstanding coach. Doris Kearns Goodwin, the brilliant historical author. Actress and rapper Aquafina, a.k.a. Nora Loom. And Admiral Michelle Howard, who is the first black woman to command a U.S. Navy ship, among others. I remember last year, I, uh, I think I logged into a few of their old archived conferences, and I got a lot out of it, listening to all the female speakers on leadership and the concerns, and I got a lot out of it. So hopefully, hopefully I can uh, check out this year's. Story number seven, this is from the Wall Street Journal. Most of what I'm talking about today is from the Wall Street Journal. As I said, it's uh, awesome. It's an awesome edition, the weekend edition. This is a crazy story about how in the UK, England, they made a new rule that pubs can only serve alcohol with a substantial meal, quote, end quote. So now they're being pretty creative about making these substantial meals. You know, could a boiled egg surrounded, surrounded with a ground meat be considered a substantial meal? And so they're, they're kind of playing with this whole idea. And I guess we've got an alcohol problem in some of these areas because they're saying their motto is eating is cheating. <laughs> they also have a thing called the Scotch egg, which is a boiled egg covered with sausage and breadcrumbs and then deep fried. Ugh, sounds horrible. And whether that qualifies as a substantial meal. Story number eight is about Tony Shea, and I've done a couple articles about him. He passed away, and really we're learning more about the, his mental illness and his troubles that he was having, especially towards the end of his life, that uh, ultimately killed him. But quite an inspirational guy, like a really unique thinker. And with I'm, I plan on doing a whole podcast just on him, in terms of life purpose and and creativity. This guy is off the charts. When he died, he had. Thousands of color-coded sticky notes all over his walls. So they're really trying to figure out, you know, his family and all that. Is trying to figure out his unwieldy estate, to say the least. And he was, he seems like he was pretty, not mentally ill maybe, but definitely a different breed. He had $70 million worth of real estate that he purchased recently. They were spread across a dozen LLC companies. $30 million set aside for an angel fund for uh, tech startups and businesses in Park City. That was the place in Las Vegas where he really focused on um, building up. And I guess he, in addition to alcohol and drug abuse, well, th this goes along with it, but he was particularly uh, into heavy usage of nitrous oxide which I have no idea what that's about. I think the only thing I can think of is the great movie Blue Velvet with um, Dennis Hopper, that he always had that little like oxygen mask that he put to his face and sucked in and went for a ride. Creepy. But a very sad story with Tony Shea, because so much talent and uh, creativity and brilliance died at the age of 46 from injuries... Um, due to a house fire, and he had all these weird things where he had to have space heaters, and like he was really, 
he certainly should have been hospitalized. Story number nine. An article about sloppy gift wrapping. And they did research. It was the, um, it w this was an article in the Journal of Consumer Psychology. And they found that people respond more favorably to sloppily wrapped gifts than neatly wrapped ones because of the expectation. So kind of interesting. I love hearing why people buy things and why people do things. Story number 11. Ron Lin Lindner obituary. Him and his brother created a fishing business and they did very well with it. And actually that was their goal was to make a living out of their obsession with fishing. They uh, did very well and then um, Ron became an, an alcoholic and almost destroyed his life. And he credits his recovery to AA and a Minnesota evangelist named Lowell Lundstrom. And directed him to uh, follow Christ. And then he uh, wrote a memoir. And I love how he terms this. He says he recalled being, quote, scooped up by the gentle net of God's grace. And he added, God does not practice catch and release. <laughs> so that was kind of cute. Story number 10, I mean story number 12, is Dr. Walter E. Williams' obituary. And this is, this is an article I honestly don't know how to feel about it. But that's kind of intriguing. He was a black economist with liber libertarian views, but he had a disdain for conventional thinking uh, related to living standards for black Americans. He was against a lot of the programs that were created. And so kind of an interesting guy. And I really don't know if uh, what I think of the guy after reading this article. But the reason I like that is because it reminds me of coaching. And as a coach, that's part of my job is to help a person make some space for whatever difference they want in their life. You know, if they speak to a friend or a family member, usually that friend or family member has a vested interest in keeping that person kind of where they are because that relates to them. But a coach is objective in that sense, and they allow for that space to explore and make it a safe space, and that's a huge, important part of it. Story number 13. Another obituary of a guy, a pretty young guy. Let's see. 55 years old, Microsoft software engineer named George Eric Engstrom. Another really brilliant guy. He worked on ways to make better drones, and um, he worked on how to create more power from cold fusion. And I guess every time he was confronted with a technical challenge, he would typically ask, well, how hard can it be? And I love that approach. That's the best question ever. He lost millions and millions of dollars at different parts of his life because, you know, making decisions at one point... He was offered um, stock options from Microsoft or a salary from uh, another tech company, I.O. Corp. And he felt that um, 
He says, well, quote, to people in plaid shirts to confuse them about cash was his statement about getting stock options. I guess he was wrong because he missed out on $10 million if he had get, gotten the stocks from Microsoft at the time. He created a company called Wild Seed Limited, which worked on uh, customizing cell phones with different graphical capabilities, but that didn't really last. And he got married. He even um, he chose they chose Groundhog Day to make the wedding, so he wouldn't forget it. But uh, he still forgot it. Story number fourteen is about Margaret Chase Smith. She was a courageous senator and a twentieth-century great figure, very brave and innovative in the Senate. And she really stuck by her convictions, and she uh, wasn't afraid to go against what everyone was saying. And there was a couple ideas about her that you must know what you're about and then say it. So she wasn't much for political theory and all that. She was a very plain communicator. She knew why she belonged to her party, and then she had a picture of it in her head. And that's how she um, did everything. Followed that purpose and that mission and that vision she had. Those guiding principles, which you got to respect. And she said, if you want to be believed, say it straight. She didn't like, quote, airy, edgeless statements that were mistaken for eloquence. She was bored with politicians who just talked stuff. She said she liked to be blunt and to the point and not engage in any fancy oratory. She studied the facts, made up her mind, and then she stuck with her decision. And she never dodged an issue. Well, we could use her now. Story number 15, a really fascinating article about the connection between autism and invention. That, according to the genes that both of them have, they have this uh, focus on recognizing patterns to an extreme degree. And for an inventor, it works out very well because they create uh, new innovations. But for someone with autism, it becomes a real problem, or it can be a problem, because they're so busy recognizing the different random patterns that they don't have the bandwidth to show empathy. And the author of this article also has a book, pretty interesting, The Pattern Seekers, How Autism Drives Human Invention, by Dr. Baron Cohen. Story number 16. Despite COVID, older people are still happier than younger people. They did a lot of research tests at Stanford and and uh, it seems that older people, even with the knowledge of COVID, that they were still rating higher degrees of happiness than the younger people. There's different reasons that are suggested. One is that older people have less time on the earth, so they tend to uh, take stock of what they're doing and enjoy it a little bit more. Life is too short. They might have more skills for avoiding stress. They might have less of a need to uh, impress others. So, they also reported experiencing more positive emotions and fewer negative ones than the younger people did. 
You know, they, they are more apt to experience calm and quiet and appreciation and less about concern and anxiousness. Story number 17 is a book recommendation about dictators called Strongmen. Mussolini to the present. For some reason I'm always fascinated with the bad guys and the villains, so maybe I'll check that out. I'm just seeing the book Atomic Habits. This is story number 18. Number one again. I mean, it's been on the New York Times bestselling list for like since August. So three months, four months. It's incredible. It's good to see that that's what people are most interested in learning for nonfiction. That certainly runs right into my business. So that's good. I started listening to the book again, actually, the other day um, while I was cooking pork chops. And I was listening in my earbuds while I was cooking. And I do kind of think that he went on a little far at the beginning, first chapter, about his baseball injury. And, oh, it just went on and on and on about it. And it was bumming me out because it was so gory and painful sounding with his eyeball popping out and blood rushing out. I really feel he could have written that in like two sentences and then got on to the bit about the habits. <laughs> you know, like I had a bad accident with baseball in college and or in high school and then I learned how to give myself, uh, do, do some habits. But hey, he's a best-selling, you know, 10 million book author and I, uh, have like 14 people on my e-list, so guess he's right. Now we have story number 19. This is about examples of uh, systems that build resiliency in nature. Nature is able to cope with that much better than humans. We're not able to uh, cope with unpredictable events nearly as well as nature. And there's so many examples of nature doing it well, you know, uh, you know, certainly taking ideas from nature like Velcro from the spiky burrs and plants to even modeling the cooling towers from uh, termite mounds that we use to cool whatever they use. And early in the evolutionary process, plants began to change to, uh, you know, if an insect bit off parts of the leaf where that took off the whatever um, series of veins in the leaf, then the plant died because it couldn't suck in the water. So then it evolved to have many more veins and many more um, loops and, and extra loops and connections. And a lot of, you see that a lot in nature. Even termites and honeybees and ants, social insects, they have to have a way of compartmentalizing. In case one of them gets a virus, they wouldn't give it to the whole hive. So every, every uh, bee has a different job. Another book recommendation uh, from this guy who wrote this article it's called What Would Nature Do? A Guide for Our Uncertain Times by Dr. DeFraze. Ruth, Ruth DeFraze. You know, and we've put in things like in the stock market with uh, circuit breakers. When uh, Monday 
Black Monday in October 19, 1987, when the stock market fell by the largest percentage on a single day, they had to put in this circuit breaker system. Story 20. Dan Ariely is, always has something interesting to say. I forget what he is, a social scientist? or But this is an article about um, the fact that this guy had a question that he's always wants to put up holiday lights, but the job is always bigger than he uh, estimates, so he never gets it done. And uh, Dan says this is referred to as planning fallacy, where we often underestimate the amount of time it takes to uh, do a task. And he says research shows us that people are much better at estimating the amount of time required for smaller tasks compared to big ones. So you just break down your project into smaller tasks, which I also cover in my book, All the Hats We Wear. I have a chapter on projects and the seven stages of projects. Check it out. Also, Dan says, uh, he talks about the peak end rule where people remember the high point and the end of an experience more than the beginning and the middle. So if you want, if you're doing a presentation, always to end it strong, have a good ending. Peak end rule. Story twenty one. This is a about a monastery in Switzerland, the Great Saint Bernard Hospice, and beautiful. I mean, if you see the picture, the huge Alps and the mountains and this huge building, pretty cool. And they're talking about the Saint Bernard dog, in that. Uh, this says that historians never confirmed that St. Bernard's ever had a little um, canister on their neck to, to carry brandy to someone. But it's a cool image. Story 22 is a recipe I cut out for delicata squash with cauliflower puree, brown butter, and hazelnuts. Story number 23 is a little invention that's a solution to rock-hard brown sugar. You know how you get it and it's a big brick. So they've made little discs or tabs and they're pretty cool looking and I guess you just soak it with water, these clay discs and they're uh, engraved, you know, with the King Arthur Park Baking Company. Good idea. Story number 24. Steven Soderbergh is a uh, the film director, of course. Oscar-winning auteur and director and this is 20 odd questions for him I always like that feature in the Wall Street Journal on the weekend he, I guess he uh, directed a whole movie or a couple movies just using his iPhone so that's pretty cool I didn't realize that he was into making collages he has a 6 by 9 foot collage in his LA house all from tabloid images images of movie people very detailed pictures. Us Weekly people. I wonder what that's about. Very interesting. He also has a box called Bling Images. Watches and handbags and shoes. Super high-end stuff called his Bling Collage. <laughs> He says he never waits for permission. If he has an impulse to create something, he does it. 
He wants people to stop sitting around and thinking, oh, I can't do that because I don't have X or Y or I don't know X, Y, Z. Just do it. If you have a smartphone, you're already in the film business, he says. Story number 25, this is a little interview in the Wall Street Journal magazine with Jen Atkin, who is a hairstylist and founder of the hair care brand Uai, O-U-A-I. She even wrote a memoir called Blowing My Way to the Top. <laughs> um, she mentioned a couple apps that I added to try out for productivity, Trello and Beekeeper. She asked about her uh, the favorite tweet she saw on, on her cell phone this week. You never realize how many people you hate until you think of baby names for your kid. <laughs> and she mentioned a couple Instagram feeds that she really likes. Future Earth, 90s Anxiety with the numerical 90s, AOC, John Cooks underscore, and so on. And today's final story, 26, is a, an interview with Goldie Hawn, the actress, and she's talking about her mindfulness program, nonprofit organization called Mind Up, and she focuses on helping kids instill connect, connectedness and mindfulness awareness in kids, and she gives a curriculum to schools and families all around the world that centers on the, having brain breaks encouraging focus and optimism and empathy. And she does a lot of deep breathing in the morning, like oxygen is a big deal for her. You've got to oxygenate. And when asked what the pandemic has taught us, that she says um, it's taught us the fragility of the human mind, that mental health is so center, up and center right now. That's it. Have a great day.